0: podcast. I'm Rob May, the CEO of Nova and an active AI angel investor. We used to call this podcast Investing in AI, but decided to expand the scope a little bit, the type of people that we interview, um, and, and really match it up to this AI innovators community that we've been building. So the purpose of this podcast is to interview people And learn about the the trends that are impacting AI, the business models that are emerging, um, the investment opportunities that are out there, and uh, some of the new operational and management practices that go along with all these new technologies. So uh, my guest today is uh, Tommy Weir, who's the CEO of Enable. And um, he's going to tell us a little bit about sort of their company, what they do. They're very much in the uh, AI-enabled productivity space. Um, Enable is Boston-based. And so uh, with that, Tommy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. It's fantastic to be with you today. Looking
1: forward to our discussion.
0: Yeah. So I like to start by jumping like right into something. And what I find most interesting about you and your background is you had a little bit of an unusual path to entrepreneurship. So so tell us the founding story uh, of how the company came to be and what you were doing before. So prior to uh, the
1: chapter of life that I call the Enable chapter, I got my doctorate in strategic leadership. I spent a few decades coaching CEOs, um, writing books, uh, living on a stage in an airplane, loved life, thought I was going to do it till the day I died, and then got invited to be a visiting scientist at MIT. Um, And it's kind of interesting looking at what I do today. When I stepped foot on campus at MIT for the first time, I was a skeptic of AI. And while I was there, um, probably it's really safe to say I drank the Kool-Aid. And then uh, during that time period, as I was really kind of just beginning to get my head around AI and what it could look like in the future of leadership, just very esoteric kind of thoughts. One of the guys I was coaching said, hey, Tommy, our productivity's flat. What should I do? And I looked at him and a little bit tongue in cheek, I said to him, you should use AI. This is pre-pandemic 2018 time period. And he looks at me and says, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. do it. And Rob, I kind of thought to myself, I thought, whoa, 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 wait, I drank the Kool-Aid. I don't know how to make the Kool-Aid. And a few weeks later, he follows back up and he says, are we going to do this or not? What will it cost? And we ended up with a large contract um, before ever hiring our first data scientist. So, yeah, I would say it's a very atypical or unusual, I think were your words, Path to get into this whole space.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because a lot of people, uh, you know, might wonder what why you were an AI skeptic at that point in time. I think you know people who are older may remember AI has been through several winters where uh, the technology had a lot of made a lot of promises and and didn't deliver. You know, sort of in the eighties and then in the nineties and then again in the early two thousands. And so, uh, so, so, so I don't think it's that common, but what was the sort of root of your skepticism? Had you had a bad experience with some of the technology or was it more just the general you know, market vibe? Did you feel like it was overhyped? And then, and then what actually led to the change? Was it the enable experience or something else? So my
1: skepticism probably came out of uh, a lack of understanding. It wasn't the market hype. It wasn't what everybody was saying, good or bad about it. I was just kind of thinking about it. And I'm like, AI is really like, this was my thought then, not today it's fingers on a keyboard. Somebody made it do this. So my head was kind of like really struggling with thinking through it. And um, what really transformed it was a weekend in Tokyo, of all places, uh, looking at applied AI, and Joey Ito was there and a few others. And we just started working through different things. And I got the, the opportunity to throw a lot of my questions out. And I was, you know. Can AI understand emotion? Can AI do, I'm trying to remember what I was asking at the time. And as they were walking through areas that the media lab's working on, my mind just started opening up and really thinking about the possibility. And probably what really like solved it for me was when he dove in and gave examples of A-B tests to where you had a live customer agent and you had an AI customer agent and the AI customer agent was outperforming the live. And that's probably the the moment to where my mind really opened up.
0: Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. So, um, so tell us a little bit about obviously AI applied to productivity could mean a lot of things. Take us a little bit deeper. What what kinds of what kinds of data are you looking at to tell you whether people are productive or not, and how is that data applied in a company using your tool to improve? worker productivity?
1: So we set out and said, if you, if you look at it, um, there's always going to be human workers. I'm still very much in that camp. I don't feel that AI is going to uh, displace the workforce as a whole. There will always be this human worker. And coming from my previous background, the leadership side of life, the human is actually the source of the greatest opportunity of change and improvement in a company. It's also the source of the greatest variability. So we set out to look at human productivity. Um, now, inside there, if you begin to, to kind of break this down, it is a very complex, sophisticated, um, multi-factor problem that is going on in it. But we said, okay, what do we know? We said every time that somebody is working in any system that a company has, um, and I'm kind of making that line very clear because enable as a whole does not get into Uh, your own private search histories, any apps you go to that the company doesn't own. We only use company data and the data we're after are the event logs that are sitting inside these systems. And with that, the related metadata and we have, and we'll get into this a little more detail, um, we created a proprietary algorithmic stack to go through that and to actually learn how employees are working, more specifically, how work is done, what ideal or the optimal state of work looks like. And then to begin to measure the distance from that and make recommendations to the companies. And we can dive into all the detail behind that, Rob.
0: Yeah. Well, let's start by talking about, you You mentioned privacy issues. So like you don't look at search history and, and things like that, but, but privacy issues are becoming a big, um, a big issue in a lot of AI companies because these AI algorithms are very data driven and data hungry. And the more data that you have, the more they can do. So, so people are looking for new ways to collect data, you know, new types of data to collect. And that always raises privacy concerns. So, so tell us how you, you know, how do you address that? Is it an issue in the sales process that comes up sometimes or do, do people not really care yet?
1: Um, Oh, people really care. partially for the reasons you should read about in the media and some of the topics that would be related to what you said. And then also for business reasons as well. Um, we had the uh, privilege of growing up with really large companies from day one. And I remember one of the companies we were dealing with were in the sales process, but, um, actually we're in the due diligence phase and going through all of the hoops that relate to it. And they brought on their Salesforce uh, admin at the global level and we're going through this and about two, three minutes into the call, he goes, well, we'll guys, I need to call a timeout here. He said, this is the largest Salesforce data reach anyone has ever asked us for. We wouldn't even release this internal into the company. And we kind of then said, okay, why? And they walked through, you've got, obviously you can recreate a, a large part of a business off of this. So we said, okay, we'll come up with a solution for you. And we came back to them with a double key pseudomization package, to where they all PII information is pseudonymized on the customer side, and they hold a key. In addition to that, they also can pseudomonize any business sensitive fields. Then, when we receive the data, we remask it so there's a double key environment in it, so it cannot be unlocked
0: without both keys. Gotcha. That that makes a lot of sense. And so. Um, so, so you're accessing all this data and data is complicated. A lot of people don't understand these new machine learning approaches and how they work. They they don't understand that, you know, maybe that the data is as valuable as it actually is. Uh, how do you deal with that aspect in the sales process? Are, are people, do you, do you encounter a lot of, is it, is it enthusiastic from the beginning? Is it skeptical in the beginning? Does it, does it change throughout the sales process when you're talking to potential customers or, or do you guys have to get really really technical on how the algorithms work and what the data is used for? Oh gosh, just a loaded question. So our sales process goes from
1: leaned in, absolute enthusiasm. Oh my gosh, this is incredible. Very quick conceptual understanding. And then it goes through uh, call two, three, but we don't have any data. And we're talking, you know, largest employers in the world. And we're like, what do you mean you don't have any data? You just told us you have all this data. And they're like, no, 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 but we don't have this kind of data. And Rob, this is really a, a key area that we have to focus on and actually get a little bit technical into this of walking through what's in an event log, how the different tables work, um, issues come up in the midst of this to where this is where skepticism starts to come into play. They'll, you know, make references to some of the large process mining companies and say, yeah, but when two tables don't have a foreign key linking them, that shuts their whole process down. They can't handle loops well. And we're like, well, wait, why does that shut the process down? There's other ways to solve this problem. Um, and then walk them through how we can take the data from these systems and then put the whole thing back together. So from a skeptical point of view, it's less about Enable and more about skepticism on their data as a whole and going through the understanding. On the technical side, it's a really good question. We don't actually have to get technical on the ML side or the AI elements of Enable, but we have to get very technical with them on helping them uh, reframe the productivity problem as a whole. It has always been measured as this very simplistic hours worked output and hasn't been broken down with a real understanding of what you can learn through the data so for example um, really understanding what an ideal time is for something an optimal time the understanding of the fact that if you just use time without converting it um, into a standardized unit or something else that there's a lot of noise in the picture so we have to get far more technical with them on the productivity understanding um, than we do actually in the AI aspects.
0: Really interesting. And, and it's 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 also interesting because just hearing you describe the sales process, I, do, I know you have a lot of like bigger customers. Um, that's where you guys started, you mentioned. And, and you have some marquee customers. I remember the first time that we met, I was already impressed that you know for a young startup, uh, the size of customers you had and some of the names that you had. But my favorite thing about dealing with startups is that, um, you know, you're doing a lot of these things for the first time and you're learning a lot and things are changing. And I'm, I'm curious having deployed at some customers now and being relatively far along as a startup, uh, what have you guys learned? What is, what is, has anything changed from your initial hypotheses or, or has anything surprised you about the business or the deployments that you didn't originally anticipate? (laughs) A lot, um, and I'll cut into the part you're probably really
1: asking about. Number one, the biggest learning overall is that averages create average. And what I mean by that is companies obsess on average. Looking at the median, the mean, whatever they happen to choose for that. And they set all of their metrics and benchmarking internally on this. So we're like, you want to make everybody average? Or do you want to make everybody the best they can? And then... Um, Two other learnings that relate, uh, condescending, but companies have invested hundreds of billions, if not billions of dollars uh, that we work with in their data. But when you really look at it and think about it, they're not very data driven. 60% of their operating budget goes to people, but yet they don't use their data to really understand how people are working. They can't answer the basic questions with it. Um, so that's been a big one, and then the other learning that we've had, which is a little bit of an advantage to us, is utilitarian. Like, yeah, utilitarian solutions don't work well for a sophisticated problem.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and particularly your point on um, on average creating creating average. Right uh, there, there's actually a book. I'm, I'm blanking on the name of it, but. There's a book I picked up in the bookstore a couple years ago. Uh, there was something. It, it was basically about this concept that this idea of average, particularly when applied to human beings, is like one of the worst concepts we've ever come up with. <laughs> so uh, sounds like you're, you're verifying that.
1: Uh, we could get on to a long uh, diatribe on this topic, but if like society as a whole conditions us to be normal, normal is average.
0: Yeah, and even though everybody says they're looking for the best all the time, right? It's um, correct. It's uh, I've seen this a lot in hiring processes of companies that I've been involved with, where people are actually looking for somebody that um, is kind of average, right? Or is is not? A lot of times, it's about screening out the bottom rather than actually, you know, finding the top. I guess. So. Absolutely. Um, so, tell me a little bit about so, some of the. I, I always like to when I talk to AI companies, I always like to understand if there's any technical problems that they're struggling with it, they're not going to fix. And part of the reason is because a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are, are entrepreneurs or investors, and they're always looking for the next things. And one of the best ways to find the next things is to figure out what you know. new problems, new solutions always create new problems and, uh, and opportunities. And so are there any technical problems that you guys are working on at, around data collection or AI or, or productivity that you feel like these aren't things is going to tackle but because um, they're not in our sphere of, of sort of competence, but we wish somebody else would solve them and we would definitely buy their solution.
1: Yes. And as I say this, I really don't mean to be hopping on uh, the hype wagon around chat GPT, as I mentioned this, but um, there's an area that would be amazing, which would be generative visualization for data storytelling. And two dimensions to this one to where um some aspect of a tool to where it could take our data, it could go through it, it could understand it and then recommend the best visualization uh, type of tool enables algorithms and enables a whole or opinionated in regards to uh, what the value in the data is for the company. But some aspect of, uh, a visualization tool that could pre- the read through the the data and say this is the best visualization, and then getting to the very future side of this aspect, to where a consumer of the data, an executive in a company, a senior manager, could actually ask a question of the data and get it visualized to them in a way that is familiar, personal to them, and really tell the story of the data.
0: Yeah, that actually would be as you're as you're mentioning that, like a, a killer product and and difficult to do, I think, um a little bit with the current state of technology. Um you'd have you know you'd have to you'd have to map those uh yeah, you'd have to build a training set around natural language and visualizations, and that would be uh uh might might take a little bit of quite a bit of annotation. So um yeah. hopefully somebody's listening will, will spark that idea and uh maybe we'll have a new startup here soon. Yeah, our our discussion on it went
1: from very quick. Oh my gosh, this is a great idea. To, oh my gosh, this is an impossible
0: undertaking for us at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get there um, at some point. So, uh, so tell me a little bit about your industry in general. Where do you think AI powered productivity goes next? What's on the horizon for enable or the industry as a whole? Like what do you expect that, you know, if we have you back on in two years, what's going to be different and what are you going to be able to do that you can't do today? Um, So where we're headed uh, very clearly is from the AI powered
1: productivity element to AI extended leadership. So moving from, which relates a little bit to the visualization aspect that we were there, but really enhancing the idea of an AI coach and really, it's the partner that is in your hand as you're leading your organization, having the insights you need and a deeper level of recommendation and even uh, greater tips, uh, the tooling around it to where the human leader. There's there's parts of leadership that today for sure, and I'm using leadership a little bit uh, broadly, so for management upwards, there's parts of it that for sure a human can do better. And I envision that to go on for quite a while in the future. But there's parts that honestly, AI is just the machine learning is better than the human that is leading at and
0: getting that seamlessly
1: brought together.
0: So that's really interesting. It makes me wonder, how do you see, you know, you're using this to get more output from people right now. You guys are a fairly young company, but ha- has this been deployed long enough in enough companies that you've started to understand how it might impact co- career paths internal to companies, you know, do, do, or the companies that deploy it, also using it in deciding who to promote? And, and if so, are they deciding based on who has the most potential to do really well or, or, or some other metric like, like talk us through some of that? So the data itself
1: is not used for promotion decisions, firing decisions, or restructuring decisions. I should use that cleanly. Um, it's not used from that aspect. The data is used to at two levels. One, to look through the workforce as a whole to understand how they work. The company does and to identify the opportunities to optimize the way work is done today. So get some of the, the waste of time out, gets the waste of steps out. Um, if we were walking through uh, identifying where either it be at a team or an employee level, at a process level, at a task type or specific case type to where they're not working at the optimal state, where there's a level of difficulty that needs to be adjusted for, um, all the way to work through where there are defects in a system, quality impact issues. So getting the insights at a larger level then there are role types we work with as well to where we're deployed to the employees and the whole focus there is helping them to get better now the getting better has a byproduct of getting a promotion or earning more money or moving in those directions but the data itself is not used for that decision-making purpose currently interesting
0: well, uh we have to wrap up here in a minute. Can 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 we end on a on a customer story? Is there an example that you use in your sales process or your marketing materials where you can talk about it really highlights the power of the you know the AI technology and the boost that a company saw? Yeah, so this would come into um really
1: two areas. Um and it depends on the job type. So if we were dealing with uh more of your operations type roles, it's one of the examples that we use regularly is tour. There's two. Um, so pre, we take a year's worth of data when we onboard a new customer to learn from that aspect. And inside that learning, um, we see that the variation and how long it takes to do like for like work. So this is an employee doing the same thing one time and then doing it again can sit in that 250 to 260 percent range. So the variation, one time 10 minutes, another time 35 minutes to do the exact same thing. We see this consistently. That generally catches people's attention, partly on how do you learn the optimal. And then another is if you were to look towards, um, again, operation roles towards the end of a shift, the speed of work goes up, the volume of cases handles goes up, but the number of errors exceeds the gain that they get. And causes more rework and has an overall negative impact on productivity. So, what they were once patting themselves on the back for, they're now going, "Oh my gosh, we have to go fix this." Um, so, those are two areas that catch attention. And then on the sales side, um, probably the headline: we increased the vi- we increased the visibility um, beyond what Salesforce can give of selling activity
0: by twenty one x. Wow. And that catches attention. Yeah, definitely sounds pretty impressive. Um, Good. Well, it's been great to hear about the Enable story, but I always like to wrap up uh, when I talk to entrepreneurs and CEOs with a more personal question, because again, a lot of the people that are listening to this, they want to have a company someday, they have an early stage company, you know, they're trying to sort of follow in your footsteps. Um, What is one piece of advice that, Earlier in your career, somebody gave you, somebody told you, you read or whatever, that's really had a big impact on your life that you want to share with everybody else that's listening to the podcast?
1: Can I give two?
0: Yeah, sure. Um,
1: In fourth grade, my dad put a poster on my wall uh, that says, you can if you think you can. And... It stayed there through the years of living in their house and it has moved with me. It's framed. It sits by my desk right now of just this constant reminder that you can do anything that you think you can do. And the second one is largely related to it was a very first uh, like professional boss. I had, he used to say possible is inside impossible.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. Um, your first point reminds me of one of the early management uh, things that I learned that uh, I had an executive coach at my first startup who taught me that every time one of my executives came and complained about something, he's like, just reframe that as an opportunity for growth for them, right? To, de- to learn to deal with this new thing or whatever it is. So um, you've got it. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. Uh, well, Tommy, this has been awesome. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. If people want to learn more about Enable or think it might be a fit for them, uh, where should they go? What's what's the best way to reach out? Uh, directly, Tommy, T-O-M-M-Y dot weird, W-E-I-R at Enable,
1: E-N-A-I-B-L-E dot I-O, or they can go just to Enable dot I-O.
0: Great. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, wish you the best of luck in your 2023 endeavors. Awesome. Thank you so much. Great to be with you today.